you can see I've got a whole watch of papers. We can't ask all these questions. I'm trying to group things together and there's a couple of things that are on the pieces of paper here that legally we're not allowed to ask, so I won't ask them. <laughs> so, yeah, but I'm sure you'll like the first one. How are you feeling now? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm feeling okay. I, I, I've enjoyed being here this morning. Um, I've, I've enjoyed being with you. I suspect that in um, three quarters of an hour or so, I will suddenly feel very, very drained. But at the moment, the adrenaline's still going, so I'm still continuing. But it's lovely to be with you. And I'm going to rephrase this question, but I think you'll get the gist of it. This morning, we've just had one service, and normally there's two services. Would it be your intention that there'd be something distinctive and separate about the two services? And you, you'll know the 9.30 is normally quieter. Yeah. Um, I think the answer to that briefly is, is yes. That's what I'm inheriting. Uh, if I came here and uh, I would see there's wisdom in not just carbon copying and cloning. And uh, as I understand it, the earlier service is um, slightly more liturgical and the later service is sort of slightly kind of less formal and probably has more modern things. I will find how, in partnership, that shapes. But yes, I, I can see wisdom in having those two things so people can work. The, the fact is, what we're wanting is actually a couple of things. We're wanting the people of God to be able to worship and engage with God in ways which are helpful to them. Um, also, we're wanting people who are the not yet people of God uh, to be able to engage in worship. And sometimes that might push us out of what we're comfortable. But if you've got two opportunities um, or more, also with encounter in the evenings, you can actually be doing things in slightly different ways. That strikes me as good. Thanks, Bill. Basically, I think what several people are wanting to hear from you is a little bit about um, why at this precise moment, do you feel that this could be the right place for you? What sort of led you to think this could be? Okay. Um, I was not, in brackets, am not, sort of, uh, looking uh, to move from where I am currently minister. So I'm not in the process that I'm a Baptist, uh, we have a process that if you think you're about to move, you kind of engage with those systems. I'm not actually in that process, but I became aware of this particular ministerial vacancy actually through uh, a Facebook post by Chris Duffett, a member of the church. Um, and, and it resonated and interested, and I explored and I just have pushed at doors and somewhat surprisingly I'm ending up talking to you now through a microphone having pushed some doors I think that that's that's broadly it it's to do with the the thing here rather than trying to move I think I can expand more if that's okay. yeah. 
Well, we'll we'll see we'll see how we go. Yeah. Yes, yeah. We're not necessarily going to use all of the forty-five minutes if we don't need it. You, you know. So, there's a couple of questions here that are to do with either children or young people, and I know they're not the same groups, but I think some of the issues are are, are the same about enabling children's role and place in the church, and it says what are plans for youth in the church but but I think it, it's a little bit more from you about how you see children young people and uh, their role in the church and any ideas that you've particularly got at this stage uh, you might be disappointed to learn I have no specific plans or ideas about how to shape or reshape children's and youth ministries and work within the church that said it is wonderful that there are good numbers of children and young people in the church one of the things which I found very refreshing and encouraging when I came to visit last month uh, was actually meeting with not the children but with the uh, uh, young people and actually how engaged they were in uh, church, in wanting to be a part of church. And it is important, and at the moment I don't know quite how everything works, and so I, that's one of the reasons for not having any detailed plans. But it is important to uh, actually enable children and young people to actually feed into the life of the church. Um, I said this morning that you know, God can call Samuel. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. Poppycock. Thank you. Right. There's a couple of questions here, but obviously some of us have had a chance to meet with you and talk with you and to know quite a bit about you. But there's a lot of folks here this morning but whom this is the first time they, they have met you. And... I sense that people would like to know just a little bit about where you're coming from, um, a little bit about theologically, someone's picked up that you spent some time in Texas, and yes. did that influence your thinking at all? But you know, just a little bit about who you are and wherever you've come from and theologically where you are, those kinds of ideas. We don't want the whole life story, but... <laughs> I began at a very young age. No, okay. Or yee-haw. I don't... Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a Baptist minister. I've been a Baptist minister for the last um, 15, six, 16 years or so. Um, and have uh, been a minister of two churches. Uh, one in West Bromwich, in the West Midlands, uh, for seven and a half years. One in Maidstone, where I've been for nearly eight years. Before that, after training at Bristol Baptist College, we did spend uh, six months in a church in Texas, which is a rather different experience. Um, 2,000 people or so on a Sunday morning, um, which was bigger. I'll shock you now. It's bigger than the church was in West Bromwich or in Maidstone. Um, so uh, that was useful. I'm not sure how formative it was on my theology, the uh, Texas experience. One of the other things to know about me, I suppose, is I was brought up 
sort of attending a fairly traditional rural Anglican church. And I was, uh, I am a confirmed Anglican. I was talking to the Bishop of Dover, um, who's my area. And he said, oh, no, if you've been confirmed, you're still among us. <laughs> so, 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 but I think I have actually become a, a Baptist minister, which kind of does that. So um, I, until my mid-20s, I, I was an Anglican. I've always been on the evangelical uh, side of Anglicanism and now evangelical side of, of, of church life in general, um, influenced by the charismatic movement as well. Um, but actually somebody who thinks, no, knows that, that, that God's broader than uh, narrow uh, labels. So I see my evangelical identity as a centre around which I minister, not a hedge which prevents me ministering beyond that, if that makes some, uh, some sense. I hope those are the sorts of things which interest. Married for 17 years, three children who are somewhere. <laughs> Tell us their age. Oh, sorry. Okay. We, we have Silas, who is 13, year eight, currently going into nine. Uh, we have Thomas, who is 10, who is in year six and therefore moving up to secondary school in a moment. And we have Miriam, who is five in year R. And so those are our three children. And Kerian is my wife. There's a question here that uh, I think is quite an important one for us to ask you. If we were to invite you to be a minister here and you decided that you would accept, which is all hypothetical at the moment, yes. How would you think that the church needed to support you to enable you to achieve your full potential in this role. So what would you be looking for from us to enable you to minister? That question is so much better than the answer you're going to get. <laughs> um, well, I, I think I probably would need some thought because some of those things are actually contextual, uh, you know, in particular contexts. I will say some things. One is... Um, support and space. Space for us to be a family without um, constantly de demanding. So space for times off, space for family time um, is important. Support, actually, having an attitude that wants us to flourish into who we are in Christ and not just what can we do for you to help you flourish in Christ, which is the calling of being a minister, is helping people to flourish in Christ. But if that can be mutual, then that's actually just, just is right. Um, and probably in terms of initially, actually uh, space to make transition, and therefore particularly putting on hold some of your dear demands because you've actually been without a, a minister here for a while. And therefore, I entirely understand that if a minister comes, or when a minister comes, whoever they are, you're going to say, great, and now here's the inbox. Be gentle with me or whoever comes. Because actually, 
there's a huge transition for family uh, for just um, getting at moving house. All the stressful things in life um, will all be happening at the same time. So be gentle uh, um, at the beginning. And if that becomes a habit, that would be lovely. <laughs> okay. Um... I think it sort of follows on from that, because we were talking there about the church supporting you. There's one here about pastoral responsibility towards the members. And I suspect that what's going on there is both your own attitude towards pastoral care and how you see the church having responsibilities for pastoral care of, uh, of one another. So something around how pastoral care can be done. Yeah, okay. In a large community, a large church community, certainly one of, of, of this kind of size, the idea that the minister can exercise all the pastoral care which is necessary uh, is... A, uh, is, is a pipe dream and an unhelpful pipe dream. Um, I think pastoral care needs to be concentrating on mutuality, enabling mutual care. Now, obviously, um, as a minister, I want to get involved in pastoral sort of situations. I, I actually quite enjoy some of that. It can be something which energizes me. But also, okay, I'll speak. I, I go through life with a permanent sense of what I'm not doing. <laughs> I, I, that, I mean, I, I, I think probably anyone in this kind of role ends up thinking, because there's always more. Now, that was the message this morning, but in a slightly different way. Uh, there's always more. So we have to, I think, People's sense that it has to be the minister doing things um, ends up being unhelpful. And we have to have that sense of mutual care. That New Testament phrase, one another, is really important. I recognise there's a responsibility, uh, particularly at key, key moments in life. Uh, but uh, it, it has to be shared. Um, and what I would need to do at the moment, I don't quite know how that is enabled to happen that isn't one of the things I particularly picked up on yet but I you know I'd need to know that and then actually come alongside and enable that to happen as well can I say one other thing in answer to the previous question which just came as soon as I handed back the mic I then thought one of the other ways of supporting is just one general and one specific one general and then I'll be specific about it is to actually not in any sense that I would come in trying to impose lots of things, but actually engaging. Nothing encourages a minister more than actually engaging with what the minister is trying to do. That energ energizes a minister rather than uh, to actually say, yeah, let, let's work that, let's give that a go rather than trying to find all the, all the problems with it. And one thing which I think would be really helpful for me, and it will be a challenge which I'm uh, putting out to you, is echoing what happens in Luke uh, 20, where people go out in twos in mission. What I would really like is for people to think, what is it 
in Camborne, in or around Camborne, that I'm wanting Bill to know about. And then thinking, okay, seeing in those early months, how can we, I go with you, we'll go as a two into various community spaces to introduce me, but don't send me solo, come with. And so that then we can do that. It might be more than twos, but actually come as twos particularly. So what is it, not that Bill, I'm wanting Bill to sort of get to know that. So it would be lovely if people would do, including spaces which you're just thinking we really should engage with as a church, but we haven't yet. That'll be trickier for the, to say, you know, shall we go and introduce ourselves as a two to, as, you know, to the staff at Morrison's as best we can, to the ma managers? I don't know. Who's going to do that with me? Thank you, Bill. I think you've sort of answered this question, which was, <laughs> do you have any plans to take God's love outside of this church? Explain, please. <laughs> I mean, is there any, is, anything else you'd like to say on that sort of area? Um, no, I, I mean, I do think that, that that certainly, when it comes to what's my strategy early on, would be, I need to find out the lie of the land, but I don't want to do that solo because I just don't think, that, I just don't think that's the best model. <laughs> and it might be interesting. But the fact is, sorry, just going back, having a new minister gives you a better excuse than you might have uh, later. So make the most of that excuse to actually be getting out there and, uh, you know, introducing me to head teachers even of the primary school, which we don't particularly engage with that well. Or, what, or whatever it is, you know. Um, you know actually, let, let, let's, get, you know, let, let's get out there. Make the most of that opportunity, and I will try to be brave with you. Right. Um, thinking back about life inside the church a bit more, um, putting some questions together, I think what we've got is something about a concept, if you like, of, of team ministry and, and particularly in the area of worship and teaching and, and such like as to, you know, is this a one-person task or a wider task and strategies for Enabling gifts in people to be developed. That's that, that kind of area, I think. Thank you. Um, when it comes to worship and preaching, uh, probably my experience in the two churches where I've been minister have been somewhat different. I think it was probably more shared actually in my first church than it is in my current church that's partly to do with context it's not actually to do with where I would love things to to be um I think it is good when there are many voices involved in uh leading worship and also in uh teaching and preaching how much that is um we would do that as um, sharing in, a, you know, setting a theme and then various people speaking into that or whether those 
you know, people would actually take different themes. I don't know. That can be explored um, uh, together. But certainly, I, I, I believe strongly that, um, that the role of a minister is to enable the people of God to be the people of God. And that includes developing uh, giftings uh, for that. Um, so, so, yes, how do we do that? I'm, I'm, I probably haven't been as good at that as I could have been in my current church, maybe. Uh, but giving people opportunities is actually the... Uh, is, is one of the things. And also just having a, an attitude in a church in this area as in kind of all others is that it's okay to fail. And in fact, as, as a church, I think it's really important that as a church together, uh, a church fails at some stuff. Because it means, if a church is failing at some stuff, it means you're trying new stuff. Actually, a church which never tries something and says, hmm, that, you know, that didn't work out, probably isn't being adventurous enough. And that also includes pushing ourselves and our, our, our gifts. And, there, and also, having said failure, failure is a very strong word, but that's not the end of a journey. You know, but actually to say, oh, I tried you know, leading worship once and it all fell apart well that's not a reason not to try again but it might be a reason to dust down and to explore and try again or say maybe God isn't calling me in that area but he's calling me somewhere else to be daring so yeah thank you this is one that takes me completely out of my comfort zone, but I don't know about you. It's, it's, about, it's a techie sort of question. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> no, not actually running the thing. But it's really about social media, I think. And I'm not going to ask you exactly what it says here, but do you make use at all of any social media? And do you think social media has got a part to play within the life of the church and spreading the good news. Right. Um, I, 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 um, I paddle in the shallow end of social media. Um, I, I, I do think it is increasingly important, but it's not, it's not, it's not my home turf. I don't tweet. Maybe I should. <laughs> I'm not... I, I, I don't keep careful, I, I, I engage with Facebook, otherwise I'd have never known that Camberwon had a vacancy, um, actually, if I'd never engaged with, uh, with Facebook, um, and I am part of various groups there. I actually think that um, having a church presence which is responsive on social media, which probably means that if you're wanting somebody who's very responsive on social media, and I think that's good, you probably need to have something which is, doesn't I'm not the bottleneck, social media-wise, um, because it's not my native turf. That said, there, there are, you have to trust people greatly because whatever goes out, goes out in the name of a church. Therefore, it's a tricky area because it is possible to do damage on social media. Um, we all know that. So, I think, actually, trusted 
what you know ones or twos um, with with guidelines, so that actually social media can respond. So that if people actually contact through Facebook or tweeting or however it, it, it's going to be, that actually they can expect a response and an interaction, not, oh, Bill hasn't checked Facebook today. Another one that's a fairly specific sort of question, and you don't need to go into a great deal of detail about this. I think underlying the question is whether whether you think there are times when, when we're using scripture and unpacking scripture, there's a need to at least refer back in some senses to the original text and the original languages to unpack what, what words might mean uh, rather than just using translations. And I suppose different translations of the Bible would yeah. also be something that you could speak about in that context. Okay. I'm... I'm not, um, and I'm very aware of who I'm standing near. Um, I am, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not an Old Testament scholar. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, of course, we need to be attentive to the original languages in which Scripture was written. I am very glad there are people who engage with Old Testament scripture in Hebrew and Aramaic and New Testament scripture in Greek, I will very occasionally uh, dabble in some Greek. Um, I have learned some Hebrew, but it's not doing me any good in ministry, to be honest, other than actually being able to maybe engage slightly more intelligently with what others are doing. But as in so much of life, we stand on the shoulders of others. The idea that one single English translation of the Bible has got it right is, I'm going to use poppycock twice in a year, <laughs> twice in a day. No, but it's just wrong. I mean, you know, I am not somebody who is wanting to elevate one particular translation of the Bible above all others. It's often helpful to have a shared translation of the Bible for discussion, but don't see that as the final word. No translation of the Bible is the final uh, word, and actually things do need to be unpacked. Thank you. This one's a bit of a complicated. What? No, no, the way, no, no, the, the way, the way it's been phrased. Because um, it's not clear whether it's meaning whether, as a minister, you're helping others to develop, or whether it's helping yourself to develop. Um, but it, it, it's talking about um, spirituality and about professionalism and uh, and things of that kind. Um, and sort of personal development as well. So I, I think that something of what's going on here is, is how does the role of minister uh, interact and enable and create opportunities for 
for development of yourself and of others, if that makes some sort of sense to you as I, what I, I think that's... I'll, I'll, I'll try to speak somewhere into that area and hope it's helpful. Um, it is important and sometimes neglected for ministers to care about their own spiritual walk. Vital. Vital. That's actually something for which churches need to give space to uh, ministers. Times away, um, uh, retreat, retreat days. I, I will often, at the moment, a pattern, I, I will quite often take a day or half a day out for a retreat. I'm not in the habit... When I was in the Midlands, I was more in the habit of actually do, doing 24-hour ones residentially. There's, I don't do them residentially um, at, the, at, the, at the moment. I might here. But actually taking that time out, um, spiritual direction uh, can be uh, important, has been important to me, which is having uh, somebody who... Um, has permission and a duty to ask God questions of your life uh, in a periodic way. That can be important at the moment. I also engage with a thing called uh, peer supervision, which is um, doing that with uh, another minister in Kent. We meet up regularly and ask questions of each other's lives, um, which I think is important. Encouraging that kind of spiritual practice within the wider church is also important. One of the things which I have done uh, within my current church uh, is uh, encourage uh, things called DNA groups. Only some have, have engaged with this, which is groups of three, where people are encouraged to actually ask maybe slightly more personalised questions of each other than would be true in a sort of home group of 12 and, and therefore more personalised. And I think that can be helpful in the walk of having people who ask the God questions of you, the kind of classic, actually John Wesley's questions about basically what, you know, what's God doing in your life, what are you doing about it, kind of questions, they're good. There's a question here that I'm sure you're not going to want to give a, a clear answer to. But I think it's important that I just ask you the question because it simply says, what's your vision for Camborne and the church here? Now, some of the things you've said that you're not going to be too specific, but no. you can probably say something. I, I, okay. I think my vision for any church is that it's a church which actually receives from God and has a vibrant spiritual life within so that actually when we engage outside it's not from a hollow center. Um, I, I think that's part of why I chose in bringing you one message to actually say receive receive from God is actually right at the beginning so actually there needs to be a spiritual reality at the heart of any church 
but a, a, spiritual, a spiritual reality and a missional intent, which is actually saying, and, and, and in Cambon, there, there, there's a real geography about knowing where the mission field is in Camborne. There is this new town now. I was told it was a villages when I first came, but there we are. It all changes. Um, and actually, to engage with the local area intentionally, part of that was saying, actually, going out and going slightly further with the Luke 10 stuff about going out into and seeking where are you finding people of peace? Where are you finding that there is a welcome to you? Which is there in Luke 10, if you read Luke 10. And therefore, to an, to an extent, the vision of going out and actually finding where are there people of peace with whom we can uh, engage and actually seeking to be gospel uh, in those relationships. That is probably pretty vague. Um, I'm also a strong believer that just in terms of what leadership is and should be, um, ministerial leadership is not about one person coming in um, with a vision after one month when there's 100 people who've been here for 10 years. That just strikes me as ridiculous. <laughs> so it is actually something which needs to be um, a joint project in which the minister clearly has a, a role at the hub, but actually it, it, I need to listen to what's happening among you and in the wider community and then looking to see where God's moving um, and looking to see where there's an openness and then seeing how can we be intentional in mission in, in good news ways in those opportunities as they come. And one final question, and then I'll give you a chance just to say anything else you want. But the final question, as you're aware, this is a somewhat complicated ecumenical <laughs> context. It's an exciting one. But are there aspects of the ecumenism here that particularly excite or you recognize as a particular challenge to you? Okay, the ecumenical context. I think I think that that excitement and challenge are both relevant. <laughs> are both relevant. Um, I think there is something good about being an ecumenical partnership. Um, it is about saying actually of gospel values, which sometimes gospel values and gospel beliefs are some of the things which do separate people into different church groupings. But actually, it's choosing to put church unity as a really high gospel value and saying, let's work at this, even you know, where that might be uh, tricky. So I, I, I'm excited by the uh, ecumenical uh, context. The thing which might challenge me and the thing which worries me, not just for myself, but for, but for Camborne Church, is uh, that it is how you have space and energy 
to relate into various sponsoring bodies in a way which does not just then take energy away from the local church mission. And that, I think, is a, is a constant thing. One of the, my concerns is, is a statistic, it's just a statistic, um, is that... I, okay, I, sorry, I'm going to go back one. I do believe there's spiritual power in Christian unity. I think there's actually something really significant spiritually, Psalm 133, about God blessing a place where people are, are, are united. And unity doesn't necessarily mean agreeing on everything. Um, you can be united with your husband and wife without agreeing on everything. Yeah? Yeah. So uh, unity is not necessarily agreeing on everything, but, but, but unity. There's a spiritual power in unity. And yet, local ecumenical partnerships statistically grow uh, on, on most measures less well than other churches. That's a concern. I'm not saying it's a concern here, but I think part of that is if too much energy is into keeping various sponsoring bodies or various competing groups within the church all happy, such that it becomes a bit navel-gazing and you lose your focus on what's happening out there. That's a concern. And therefore, back to the support things, I, I do think as a church, we need in good conscience to be relating to the various sponsoring bodies. But actually, if that relating is all needing to be done by the minister, that would be something which I think would sap some missional energy. So actually, how that dance works, <laughs> how that diary scheduling works is, is a, bit, a bit of a concern, but that's a concern of somebody who is excited about the idea of working in community and saying, that needn't be the truth. We need to find a way that that is not the truth here. Thank you, Bill. And I think I simply want to say, is there anything else that you really want to share with the people here before we send you on your way? And I will pray before we get to that stage. But is there anything else that you particularly feel that you want to share with folks? No. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I, I don't think there. I don't think. I don't think there is uh, particularly uh, something. I've been trying to be attentive to the questions as as asked, and therefore I've kind of been in that uh, sequential uh, place. So uh, no, there wasn't anything extra that I was wanting uh, to say. Very happy, you know, to respond as necessary. This is not a session in which questions can be asked from the floor. I'm going to close now by leading us in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you that we have been able to gather and to worship you this morning, to become aware again that we are loved by you. We thank you for that love and we thank you for Bill who brought that message to us. 
We thank you for this time when we have been able to explore together possibilities for the future. We thank you for the openness and the honesty and for the guiding of your spirit through this time of question and answer. And we pray your blessing on Bill, Kerian, and his family as they now leave this place and journey onwards and return home to Maidstone sometime today. Keep them in your love. Keep them safe as they travel. Give them joy and peace in their hearts, no matter what the decision of this meeting will be. Bless Bill and his family and bless his congregation back in Maidstone too. And bless us as together we move forwards to discern your will and your purposes for this church, for this town, and for each of us as your servants, as your children, in the name of Christ. Amen.